When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. I had one last Hot D podcast, Emmy, before we turn things over to Maester Anthony, and he continues his chapter-by-chapter review discussion book club of the Game of uh, Game of Thrones series. He's going to be doing a Clash of Kings coming up next. I had one more Hot D podcast, and this is going to be... Uh, Jim is not in the room. It's going to be between two book readers, two co-host book readers of a podcast where the other person doesn't read the books. I thought it'd be interesting to bring on, get her experience. She's one of the sharpest Game of Thrones commentators I know. She's Kim Renfro. She's an entertainer reporter for Insider, a co-host on Cast of Kings, the fabulous House of Dragon podcast with David Jin. You can follow her on Twitter at Kim R. Renfro. All those will be mentioned in the show notes, uh, so you can be sure to follow everything that she's doing online. Very excited to have her on the podcast. So welcome to, welcome back, I should say, to the podcast, Kim. Yeah, thank you. It's been too uh, long. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've listened to a lot of you and David's conversations. Uh, you guys are one of the first in the market podcast, and, and, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts that come out before mine. After mine comes <laughs> out, then I'm like, I don't care anymore. But like, so you got, you guys had uh, some market leader positions. It sounds like you had a really good time. You guys had a really good time covering the first season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't know what to expect, but um, both the show itself and the experience of actually regularly podcasting were both really overall positive, which is awesome. you mentioned uh, on your, I can't remember if it's this one for episode 10 or the wrap up podcast that like, you know, there was a little bit extra juice of um, the last few seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh, you expressed weren't as fun or didn't feel as fun or maybe it was more draining to cover. Uh, and that's certainly something I identified with. But like you had mentioned that like this hot, you felt like kind of like really loose and fresh coming out of hot D season, which I also identified with. Uh, right. What do you do? <laughs> What, what what the disparity? <laughs> um, maybe it's just my antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some chemical help this time around. Uh, I, uh, I have a therapist and a psychiatrist now. I see, um, I see. Honestly, maybe I've just done a lot of uh, good introspecting over the last few years about what I allow to define my self-worth or like how good of a time I'm having with something that's like work-related you know, and I think that I had a much healthier relationship to to covering House of the Dragon than I did with Game of Thrones. But also, I just think like it did. It felt like a reset in some ways. You know, it's it's a season one. We're no longer dealing with the oh god, we're off the books BS. Oh god, are they gonna are all these fan theories gonna come true? Like, I when I first started covering Game of Thrones. I just liked being the person who was sort of like an intermediary between book readers and show watchers and kind yeah. of like 
adding context to things or outlining fan theories that I felt pretty confident might come true and like fun stuff. And then once uh, once we got off the book path, it just turned into like a much more intense game of like, am I going to guess exactly what happens right? Or am I going to watch this leaked episode and then like trash? What? Like it just, it got all messy. And I feel like House of the Dragon just by nature of the type of adaptation that it was had none of that chaos attached to it, which was really nice to have a break from. Yeah, I I've been trying to figure out what that is. Um, I know that the last couple seasons, you might be onto something about it not going off book, and the, why this is so chill because everything is like finished. There isn't any like guess what they're going to do because broad strokes we pretty much know. Um, and I could that 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 pressure off probably helps out a lot. Um, the other thing is I just felt like that um, for like, s- especially season seven and eight, I felt like there was this growing sense that there was something that was not right or something that was kind of going mm. wrong. And maybe it's because yeah. it literally was drifting off the books. And, you know, it seems like, you know, cause like George was increasingly distant about how distant. he's talking about the show. Yeah. 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 Okay. But it's like, and whereas uh, everything just seems like so simpatico over on the hot D side, like, you know, uh, the book readers and the show watchers and George and Ryan Condal and everybody's kind of on the same page about how we feel about everything and where everything's going. And it feels good. Yeah. No, um, totally. Nailed it. One of the things that I think you and I can, you know, like have like somewhat unique experience is we both host a podcast where we have a co-host that's kind of like, you know, doing the the scene by scene recapping and we're kind of the color commentators and they have not read the books and we have read the books. Mm-hmm. How fun is it to be the book reader on a non-book reader podcast? It's pretty fun. I feel like it makes my job easier in some ways of like, oh, I just have to like wait for you to pose the question that other people in your situation might have of having not read the books or whatever, instead of me having to like guess what I think non-book readers yeah. might have questions about. Like, yeah. How, how do you handle, that? how do you handle when David's like uh, driving pretty far off the map? You know, is it, is like, uh, do you, like, like yeah. Cause my thing is like, I, I established this thing like way back in the beginning of game of, or game of Thrones podcast where like anytime that my co-host would speculate, I would, and, and it would be on something that's like on the future. I would just say, well, that's very, that's mildly interesting. And that way I practiced to where like, regardless of whether he was like saying, I think uh, Rob Stark's going to die three episodes from now, or whether he was saying, I think Joffrey is going to become a necromancer warlock. I could just nail that inflection and I never gave anything away. Yeah, uh, David Chen told me that I had a pretty solid poker face, uh, ah. which was helpful. I guess. I guess I was good at that. You just sit there and just nod and just just uh, let let I him nod run. With or the... like, I I ask him questions back of like, oh, like why do you think that? Like That's I get what him I like to, to explain do. I like to, what he's yeah. like piecing yeah. together. Yeah. Um, or yeah, just the that's interesting. Or yeah, that. Like the I, the one that's popping into mind now is like in the pilot episode when we were me and Dave were talking about the uh, the throne room scene between Rhaenyra and Damon, and he was like, "Weird vibes here." Like, wasn't really sure what was going on, but it sort of seems like they're setting up that like the the main conflict is going to be between Rhaenyra and Damon, like fighting for the throne. And I was like, 
yeah, there were a lot of things happening in that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like weird vibes for sure. Let's right. uh, see where see where they go with that. Because uh-huh. in my head, I'm like, not only is that not the main conflict of the show, but also the vibes that you're picking up on are incest <laughs> vibes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I also don't want to tell you that yet. Um. So yeah, just sort of poker facing my through my way through. Letting you find yourself after. Do you have to find yourself ever like consciously remembering to not like lead the witness or is that pretty easy for you to like avoid that temptation? I think it's pretty easy for me to avoid. I have a couple of close friends who I love talking about uh, Uh like all forms of media with. And one of them is like very, very spoiler phobic, like Mm. gets very upset if I even like say like, oh, have you seen that movie? It was so good. Like she doesn't even want to know if I thought the movie was good or not. If she right, because that taints her, the reaction, yeah. Right, so I, th- I think that I'm just naturally practiced at, like, keeping my spoiler thoughts in my mm. head until the conversation seems okay for me to, like, go that far. So, yeah, I, and I, you know, I have my book reader friends who I do get to talk about, like, all the spoilerific stuff with, which helps, too, so. Yeah, no, I just... I, I enjoyed seeing David Chen in his spoiler-free bubble. And then when he, in one of our bonus episodes, he asked me to, pre- like, to spoil what was coming in the finale. And I was like, I was like what are you, are you doing? Sure? Yeah, like, like, just... I was like, I'm, I'm really worried that you're going to, like, regret having asked me that if I tell you something. But he didn't mind. So... I was, we're talking. We're, we're on the subject of spoilers, and I got to say the one thing that I was always pretty proud of the Game of Thrones community, um, the book readers versus the show watchers, is there was, uh, I think, a, a kind of fiduciary duty assumed by the book readers to not like spoil the people who are watching the show to save those surprises uh, for for people like they they got the surprise in the book. Uh, I thought that that broke down some in the later seasons because, you know, it's like, oh, it's a leaked oh, episode yeah. and it's kind of like fair game for anybody. And then there is, you know, in the very end, there's just like a lot of troll spoilers. Do you think that um, it's going to be possible for us as a community to avoid spoilers? Because what I've seen a lot of people uh, who <laughs> they're rediscovering Game of Thrones, the series, because it's like safe to go back and explore that now because you've got, you know, oh, God, n- yeah. new material and they're getting to like a season three, episode four. And Joffrey's given Marjorie a little tour of the Great Sept and he's dropping some interesting Targaryen history. And oh, my <laughs> God, spoilers for maybe the end. You don't know. Maybe the mid spoilers for House of the Dragon. Um Ooh. Since and, and and I think part of the reason it got it, it part of the reason it was easy for book readers not to spoil non book readers is because us book readers to a large extent also didn't know where the hell things were going. So right. it's like you could drop it, but you don't really know who's going to sit the Iron Throne at the end. We have all the answers, and it doesn't seem like Ryan Condal is going to zig or zag just for shock value or for to subvert our reader expectation. Do you think it's something that we can for three or four seasons, like keep to ourselves? Do you, or do you think that it's just going to be because of Game of Thrones, because of the novels, because of Fire and Blood, it's going to be impossible to keep these things under wraps? I don't think it's impossible if everybody operates from the same intention of wanting to preserve the biggest dramas of the Dance with Dragons. For, for show watchers my concern is that i don't know how many people are thinking about that or who mm. are deciding to honor that 
Um, because yeah, in retrospect, with like the red wedding, it was crazy. The not crazy, like impressive the yes. length to which book readers went to preserve that. Like not even typing out the words red wedding. It was just referred to as RW if uh-huh. it needed to be mentioned at all. So that uh-huh. like people wouldn't even have their eye out for a wedding that was right. gonna be dramatic, you know? Like that's how it did get spoiled for me. And that's when I decided to go ahead and start reading the books as I saw an, a naked re- reference to red wedding. And I was far enough along in the books that I'm like, oh right. Mm-hmm. But uh but yeah, no, I appreciated that for other people. <laughs> uh, uh, and, no, the thing, the thing that I was sort of side eyeing on Twitter this season was like the the like pre episode photos or just dude. like other quotes and context and stuff, and like people posting like out of context, but like here's a really sweet picture of Rhaenyra and her boys. This is going to be so sad. And I'm like, why are you even letting people know that like something to do with those two characters is like a big deal in the I books? thought some of the fan accounts, especially some of the quote fan accounts got a little too cute uh, mm-hmm. on the second half of the season, because like, I, again, I've, I've read them all. So I didn't, you know, I, I, I knew exactly, but I'm like, you're, you're posting the evenings leading up to the night, like stuff that's, I would consider pretty big spoilers with textual images of the yeah. the next time ons, which that's the other thing. It's like uh, if you're watch those, do, if you're serious about not being spoiled for next episode, I wouldn't. I thought there was uh, some mm, some some definite like things that would have diminished my value if uh, my, my my first watch value if I was going into the episode. But maybe that's because I was a book reader and I knew. Because that's the thing. Every time I see a next time on as a book reader, I'm like, oh, my Christ. I just know everything's going to happen now. Right. Right. But out of context, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I think that the 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 sort of winking at the people who know what's going to mm-hmm. happen out in the open like that is I I would discourage that because yeah. I do think that it's like. I don't think that that's fair play in terms of like people who want to avoid spoilers. They're not going to know that they need to like mute yes. your account because you're posting pre-show like, you know? Yeah. And I, it's like, I don't know. and if I, I, cause I, I was following some of these guys and I thought they were doing like, well, after the episode airs, here's the, you know, like here's how it actually happened on page. So it's kind of like an appreciation and then not, and then it kind of got a little spoiler at the end, but yeah, and also the thing that, that, that is, if everyone could do that perfectly, do the wink, you know, it's like it's like you got two kids in front of you or your dog, and you're spelling out P A R K and W A L K because you don't like you're you know like that's fine, but then I feel like some of these people are they're they're you're not the thirty year old mom and you're dealing with a three year old kid. You're a thirty year old mom and you're dealing with a thirty five year old that can that, that knows all the words <laughs> that you're typing. It's like it's not that clever. It's not that hidden. It's not that veiled, and it's it's right. going to spoil people. Right. It's a little too obvious for for a conversation that should be spoiler free for show watchers. Which like that was something that I asked. Ryan Condal about in the preseason interview that I did was like what what's your expectation for the spoiler etiquette and he was basically like my hope is that it's the same as it was for Game of Thrones and I don't know so far that we've squared to that I think people are being a little more liberal than they were in the early seasons like to me that's the equivalent of like taking that Jon Snow Ned Stark goodbye scene and like 
adding a bunch of like quotes and being like well we know wink wink who his mom is and it's like hey if you're watching this show for the first time you have no idea that that's like the biggest fan theory in the books or anything you know like right right so i don't know i think people could be a little more cautious about it but i'm not a twitter cop so (laughs) do do whatever you you don't have a badger you don't have a badger a gun or nothing no my blue Uh, check mark it just seems like it's just like, you know, I, I definitely felt like the surge in pressure building up as Hot D kind of rolled onto the market. Like, you know, it's like, oh, this is big television again. Like everyone on Twitter is memeing at the same time. And there is such a huge pressure to be first and uh, to get the most eyeballs and the most retweets that I feel like there is this... Um, you know, it's such a big machine now and it's coming back at the infancy of hot D. I feel like that, that there is like um, a perverse incentive here to like go as close as you can to spoilers, to tantalize the non-readers and like, you know, cause be also I I've proven this to my satisfaction, given a choice of, if a fan can choose moderation and not engaging in seeing a spoiler or like giving in to the temptation and indulging in spoilers and then ruining it for themselves Nine times out of ten, they'll do the latter. You know, it seems like spoilers burn a hole in people's mental pocket. And if, like, they know they're there and they can seek them out. So it's like, man, that's the thing I worry about. You got got a perverse incentive for the content creators to skirt that line. And you got a perverse incentive from the fans that they just want to know everything, even if it's, like, to their detriment. Yeah, I definitely saw, I mean, the the full episode leak in, like, you know, 1080 HP or whatever Mm -hmm. uh the weekend before the finale was like when i was like oh okay we're back we're like we're fully in right game of thrones mode again with the demand for knowing what happens next in this show yeah um which was a a dangerous game that people were playing with seasons what six through I know that they started leaking full episodes in seven. I don't know that happened in six. Maybe it did. But like, I got really ridiculous at seven. Five was when all four episodes that were sent as DVDs. Oh, really? All four episodes leaked before the season had even begun. So that was like a real bad one. Mm. And then after that, uh, press didn't get screeners anymore for Mm. any of the Game of Thrones. And there were never any more leaks. And then, right, and then the leaks started coming from international. Inside the house. Yeah, like translators for subtitles. Right. And, it yeah, was yeah. like subtitle translators or, yeah, the, you know, I think what the. I mean, thousands and thousands of people touch hands on these things, just, you know, ingesting into right. the content system and translating and doing the subtitles and doing the credits. And it's just like at some point. But I also feel like even then, even when it was, you know, all bets are off in season eight and full episodes were leaking on Sunday mornings or whatever. It still felt like the people who were seeking out those leaks were like relatively contained. Yes. In like the free folk subreddit or in private right, right, chats right. or whatever. This time I was like, you are fully, people are making gifts of like the most surprising moments and circulating them on Twitter. Like it's nothing. And I was wow. like, where'd the line where did that line go where it's yeah. like yeah maybe a screenshot i remember like viserion's eye like viserion getting reawoken by the mm. night king like that still of his like blue eye mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. made the rounds on twitter but like this was like 
I don't like the entire like Luke and Eamon scene oh, circulating wow. in like and so yeah, I think that we might have lost the lost the right way about things at some point and maybe that's just the chaos of the internet building upon itself but my preference would be if we go back to the days of like you know pursue leaks or don't whatever it is but like that's your business yeah I leave, leave everybody that, else I don't to, think to that it. disseminating them in super public ways is uh the right etiquette for people who are genuinely just waiting until sunday at 9 p.m eastern time to find out what happens there's still lots of hot d to talk about we'll be back right after the break Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now back to Hot D. Well, this is a related question. People have asked me all season long. Um, Aaron, I I am very curious about what happens next. Should I read how uh, Fire and Blood, the book in which House of the Dragon is based on? Uh, wh- what what would your answer be if someone said, "Hey, I'm I'm super into this. I want to know more. Do you think I should? Would I be better off reading Fire and Blood, or would would I be better off just chilling and and waiting for the series to come out?" I think it depends on what you're hoping to find in Fire and Blood. Because for me, I watched the pilot episode of Game of Thrones before I had read the books. But like Same. that pilot episode was enough for me to be like, oh, I not, I not only need to know what happens next, but like I want to ex- I want to <laughs> experience the story for myself because it's like nuts. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have like a incest child murder happening. Like sure. what the hell is going on? I need to know. And like. That, I think, was the right call for anyone who got into Game of Thrones through the show and wanted more. Like, there's so much more depth in those books compared to what can be reasonably translated onto screen. And you're in and they're the not just heads. they're not just lore dumps. They're also satisfying right. narrative thing experiences right. in their own right. Right. You're in all the characters heads and their point of views and all this stuff. So for Fire and Blood, I'm like. If what is interesting to you about this adaptation is the way that they're choosing to portray these events, like, to me, that has been the main, like, thrust of the whole season is that Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik, and I'm assuming with input from George, have decided to take a very specific point of view on the events in those books and retell them and sometimes change them to show the bias of these male historians in this fictional world and to show the bias of the patriarchy in general and so Mm -hmm. like if the reason why you want to read fire and blood is just to find out what happens next like 
I think that you can do that, although you're going to get a lot of confusing and conflicting accounts, and we're not sure yet which ones of those are going to super come true or not, or if there's going to be some twist on how they did, like we saw with Lenor's death being like a fake out that was conceived by Rhaenyra herself and like Damon and stuff. Um, so that was impressive. The genuine amount of surprises for book readers, like maybe yeah. not like, you know, someone lived or someone died, although that literally happened in the case of Lenor, but the motivations, like, honestly, I was not expecting right. the la- the late game shock of like, Oh, actually Eamon didn't want to kill Luke. Uh, yeah. or at least not here and there. Uh, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Um, and you'll, so that's the thing is like a lot of those twists are not even in the original material and it's just very dry and matter of fact in its storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. It's not gripping. I agree. I yeah. didn't even read the first half of the book when it first came out. Did you me really? And you did po- me and you did podcast. Oh, I didn't know you skipped <laughs> off. Cause like, yeah, we, yeah. Cause I, I, I just like, it was so hard. And that's the thing is like, um, I didn't really have strong opinions on who was the right side. Who was the good side? Who was the bad side on the dance of the dragons? When I read it in fire and blood, I have very strong feelings after yeah. watching the show. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess, I guess now that we're talking this through, I think that I find the, sh- I find the show experience a lot more fun engaging with it that way and like knowing generally what is coming next but sitting there being very curious and engaged to find out how they're going to go about it which account they're going to pick are they going to go with a third unwritten account from this Mm -hmm. book um so i i think that that's fun but i don't think that you should seek it out thinking that you're going to get like Oh, so much more time with my favorite character because right. I'm going to read what happens to them next. Like some yeah, of them, like, I can't wait like, to three see more sentences. Yeah, I can't wait to see how Harwin and Rhaenyra's uh, torrid love affair on the page, yeah. where it can have room to breathe. Like, no, it won't. It won't. Well, it's uh, you, you got way go more for those. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that. I thought it was fun to see George through Ryan Connell in the show experiment with some of what I feel are his new and evolving thoughts on Targaryens, on Valerians, on dragon riding, on how they bond. Um, Cause I, I have a pretty good feeling that the way that George talks about the show is like, these are all stuff that essentially he's either signed off on or were his original ideas. And it's stuff that I, I don't think because he hasn't gotten to the point in the books where Danny really has to master her dragons and they have to fight and do all that kind of stuff. Like these are things that like, he's not even set in stone and sure about. Um, Do you think we'll see other forms of like George kind of testing field testing ideas for his books through house of the dragon and, and and stuff like fire and blood. Uh, And do you think there's any connection to this between what I would call a, a a torrid flood of updates about winds of winter of late coming out of his, not a blog and of his media appearances and that like, that was a long, complicated question. Do you have thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that we probably will see. Oh, I mean, building on the sort of added dragon lore that we're already getting in this episode or in this first season. Um, I think hopefully more about like all the castles and stuff. I think I I appreciate that like Ryan Condal seems to be really keen on bringing things like heraldry and the designs of castles and like the layout of things to life in a specific way that I'm assuming George is yeah happy with Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. 
because I think that that started, I think that that and all of the like, I, I don't think that they're leaning too hard into it now, but I appreciate the inclusion of like the magic stuff. Like that mm. all just sort of fell away in the later seasons of Game of Thrones. And I feel like George might've felt that absence of like, wait, there's so much more stuff with the children of the forest or like whatever that like I have in mind. And we just kind of, it was a little bullet point and then we moved on and it didn't really mm -hmm. factor into like a lot of the final stuff. And so I do think that it seems like he's having fun getting to be like getting to have the input that he does on the little details that Ryan Condal is working in, whether it's how drag, like I'm like, how are dragon eggs laid? <laughs> like all of that. Like when Damon right. was like digging them up, I was like, wait a second. Now I have more questions about right. like, how did that this is a clutch. Oh, wow. Okay. Get there. Yeah. And like all of the stuff with claiming dragons and the dragon seeds and like all of those little tidbits. I do think that we're, I hope that we see more of them. Um, and it does seem like, I mean, Lord knows what's going on with the winds of winter. I kind of maintain my usual line of like, I think that he's been trying to finish that book for 10 years and he has more productive years than doesn't. And I do think that the, I think that finally just having game of Thrones end and be out there was mm -hmm. like, all right, now I'm super not even racing the clock on like mm. anything connected to this adaptation maybe that freed him up a little bit more with his like writer's block or with like, see, I think, back to I, I think doing fire and blood and doing house of dragon has kind of like to his satisfaction. Him. Yeah. It kind of got like, you know, it's like, well, I, I'm not getting, you know, it just seems like he's got this, this inescapable knot that he's tied up himself. He called it the Miranese knot. And I don't think, I think he pushed it back a couple books. He never actually resolved it. Um, Mm -hmm. and he was feeling no motivation to do that. So like going back and clearly he has a lot of fun going back and thinking about these Targaryen Kings and like, what is this guy like? And what is that guy like? And it's something he can just kind of screw around and screw around with, but also work out, you know, like how do dragons work? Cause like I, the way his gardener technique works, like I think that he knows probably who sits on the iron th throne and broad points how to get there. But like, he might really be like, gosh, do I want this horn to be the thing? Or do I want there to be some kind mm -hmm. of blood magic that hinted at to be a thing? Or is it some kind of, he's like, you know, he's got these massive books and I, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's helped him out a lot. Um, and I'm starting to feel a little bit more optimistic. The way he's been talking like 75, 80%, like that's mm -hmm. a pretty high completion. I don't think he'd say that unless he's getting close. I'm starting to feel a little optimistic about wins. Hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back. Yeah, I was a, I, a I was an optimist time. for a long time, and then I'm like, you know what? Probably never, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> I want to talk about the prophecy angle. Um, this is something that that's what I really wanted to talk to you after we saw the pilot, because I really thought that I would be able to kick back my heels and just kind of chill out on the whole. There are not going to be a lot of connections to the main Game of Thrones. There's not going to be anything that's going to give any kind of red meat to like the new fan theories it's just going to be like this kind of romp through Targaryen history and then hit us up with the secret blade that reveals the message that has the dream of Aegon the Conqueror who all um and I'm like huh okay we'll see where this goes I have to say I'm not so sure that the prophecy angle actually added anything to the story and I felt like in the late 
game of House of Dragon, it minorly detracted. These are all very like minor missteps. These are not major criticisms. But like, what what's your opinion on that? Do you see like do you're like, oh yes, this prophecy really sharpened up the focus on blah this, or it really brought the head the conflict between this? What what's your opinion, just again, one season in about what they're doing with the Aegon Song of Ice and Fire prophecy? Yeah, I honestly once again, maybe my antidepressants talking. I I could not get myself riled up very much. I need about you it. to cut back the meds and get worked up a little, Kim. Come on. Come on. We need some red meat Jump here. into those emotions. Um <laughs> No, it was like I don't know. I think I agree with you that like it wasn't super additive. Um aside like the the two primary reasons I can think for including it in the way that they did were just that Ryan Condal is a big fan of all of the A Song of Ice and Fire, all of George's writing. And he said that George just sort of like mentioned this in a conversation with him, like offhandedly. And I can, mm-hmm. I can see myself being in that situation with George R. R. Martin and then being like, wait, what did you just say about Aegon's prophecy? Like this was a mm-hmm. whole thing. And like feeling like that needs to be communicated to fans if possible, especially if like it's in this show somehow. And then Ryan Condal also said that the invented bit that him and Miguel Sapochnik landed on was like the idea that Viserys would be passing it along from like air to air. Like that he said was sort of their invention, but that the prophecy itself was true. So I can just see him like wanting to like Mm. being excited to get to tell fans this like extra new nugget of information from George even though they're in this weird position of having to like match Game of Thrones canon and match George's A Song of Ice and Fire canon, hopefully. Which is not the same, probably in the same. final chapters, Maybe, right? but we don't know. Right, right. so I, well, I'm sitting here being like, um, I don't know, I feel like I can't confidently have an opinion on it until I, and like there are so many unknowns between like how much House of the Dragon is quote-unquote correcting some of the canon that was laid out in Game of Thrones, or maybe they're not, or maybe, like, they're just trying to find some middle ground between George's unpublished ending to the story Mm. and the details that they're including in their prequel that they thought book readers might be interested in. Like, I do think it's interesting that Fire and Blood and even the World of Ice and Fire introduces this conflicting, no one really knows when it comes to history narrative into the Game of Thrones universe, the actual universe, because like it does seem that like George is going to, if he does finish Winds and Dream, he's going to ask a legion of fans, hundreds of millions of fans, but like, okay, you heard one version, but now here's the real thing. And I wonder if he's like, you know, like this is an intentional kind of like introducing these ideas in their head because he knows he's going to have to come and at some point like kind of retcon things. And then yeah. from Connell's perspective, it may, this makes a lot of sense if uh, like HBO is like, we need something that kind of ties everything together and we're going to have this uh, Valerian steel knife and this prophecy kind of like unite the gl- larger Game of Thrones cinematic universe so that every single show that we have come out of that the thing is going to tie together the Targaryen anthology or whatever. It's going to be this blade, this prophecy and you know, the Jon Snow sequels going to like maybe bend canon back to where George wants it to be. And then eventually he'll write, I, I don't know. That's, that's the thing. 
Because I think it's like, okay, maybe it added a little here, maybe it subtracted. The thing that really bugged me is Allison misunderstanding the prophecy at the end. I felt like they laid such mm-hmm. elegant tracks of just having that just to be an emotional human thing just where like thing. just when her and Rhaenyra get to a good spot, the king dies and maybe she wants to spare Rhaenyra, but her dad's there calling her a fool and saying, this is the moment we've been waiting for. And now you're going to crap out because of one bad dinner. But no, it's this whispered king. I don't know. But if it if it ties together the whole series, like if you 10 years from now, like, you know, the one thing that kind of like runs through this like a river is this knife and this prophecy. And it always add a little spice because you never knew who knew. I think that's the one thing that I'm fascinated by is who knows. Like Renice was Arenas, I'm sorry, as I call her. Uh she does she know? Because she was the no. presumptive heir for a long time. No. He says Never? So the he says I, I of course copied and pasted out my transcription of that first pilot episode conversation but he says this secret it's been it's been passed from king to heir so it i'm assuming that viserys only found out after he was named heir and then jaharis told him and then viserys didn't tell anybody else until he like truly landed on rainier being his heir and again that like adds to the drama of why damon behaved the way that he did in the finale because like that response was him being like infuriated to hear that he was never actually seriously considered Viserys' heir. Right. And so like, I feel like they're trying, I feel like just uh, making a lot of assumptions here about their choices in the writer's room, but it feels like Ryan Condal heard that. And then it was like, okay, how do we work that? How do we make this matter to at least some characters? And it's like, it's certainly being put there for Rhaenyra to feel very, strongly that she needs to fight for the iron throne because she has this like burden on her it was also sort of there when she had to like turn away Kristen, um and she like started to try to tell him about this prophecy but he didn't want to hear it and now he hates her forever because he thinks that she just like didn't do you think she would have told him about that if he would have shut up for a minute I think that's where she was going when he was like, Aegon set me on a path or like set the Targaryens uh, on a path. And like, we yeah. can't. And like, I think that she was getting at like this idea that I can't run away to Essos because I have this duty. Do you think that this is something that like, the uh, serious would t- say this tell I'm, I'm, I'm now wondering, like I'm fascinated by like, if you've got a 16 year old girl, who's got the secret, does she tell like multiple people? Did Viserys tell Emma or Emma? Did like has you know did Jaharis never tell Allison, uh, his wife, you know, good Queen Alice? Like what? How how closely? Because that's the thing. It's like it seems crazy to me that you'd have a king who would wait. Like when you said he's made officially heir, like on the eve of his ascension, or like it seems crazy that Targaryens who could die at any time because they're poisoned or right. there's war or their dragon mishap, uh, and this could be snuffed out at any time. That you wouldn't like. Well, I kind of blew my mind that they didn't tell Damon. Uh, and then that's why I'm like, and then they did the one ring secret Mordor text on the knife because like, then the knife is there. There's a way to get a, testimony. There's, a, there's physical evidence that this prophecy exists. And if right. someone can just read that yeah. old Valyrian, then they and, would and clearly in the canon. It, I think there's people already is like, there's, there's a cottage industry of like identifying the, this prophecy submerging and reemerging because like it gets lost. Uh, all by all accounts, like Rhaegar rediscovered it for the first time since maybe like Summerhall. Uh, right. 
So you got that element that's kind of cool too, that like it it can't quite be killed because there's enough lore written, there's the blade, there's like the people will independently rediscover it. Yeah, and I think that that, and I mean, in general, I feel like some of the adaptation changes that they've made, um, while some of them I think were like leaning a little bit too much on just misunderstanding alone, but it's like even that even all the misunderstandings, I feel like they're just really piling on to the tragedy of it all. Mm. And so like the fact that this prophecy, which we, we, the audience knows um, is at least partially correct in that this threat from the North is going to come and threaten to kill out all of humanity in Westeros, um, that that might've been lost because the civil war happened. Like, right. Like that this is partially why the Targaryen dynasty starts to decline because this, key motivator for them ruling in the way that they were gets snuffed out because no one tells enough people or because Rhaenyra dies before she can pass it on to Jace or whatever or yeah that it's like a secret loss to time and we're kind of getting to watch people flub it but there I think that there is a limit to how entertaining that is if you're not also giving us like I don't know, more context. And then, yeah, there's all the arguments about, like, whether or not the prophecy even came true. Or, or whether Targaryens ever... Did, is that something that, like... Uh, I always analogize that my mom's always talking about how important it is to keep the clean the house clean. But given her chance, on a weekend, she'd rather chill and not clean up the house than... You know, it's kind of like when, when when us kids had a messy room, it's like, you gotta keep the house clean. But when the kitchen, the dishes haven't been done since, like, Friday night and it's Sunday... Eh, you know, it's like the Targaryens are all about this prophecy when they're trying to justify to themselves about why they're on top. But when they're in their day to day governing, it's nowhere near their priority. It feels yeah. like a little bit of hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, right. Because oh. people brought up like, why would the wall have yeah. fallen into such decline over the years? Yeah. Which I guess. Like, I don't, they haven't shown us the wall at all, and they've only mentioned it a couple of times, maybe only once in House of the Dragon. Yeah, Um, it's not on anyone's radar, it doesn't seem. But it's like, okay, maybe it's fine for now, because Viserys was making sure it was well protected during his reign, and we just didn't see that, and now Mm -hmm. it's about to, like, really fall into disrepair. Or maybe they think they're literally, like, the realm's security blanket. As long as they're, kind of like, you know, as long as there's a Stark in Winterfell, as long as there's a Targaryen on the Iron Throne, like, that's just some some kind of magical defense against... Yeah. And that's the important thing. we can save everybody. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. If we need to. Yeah, because if you're prophesied to do something, it doesn't matter how strong the wall is. You're prophesied to do it. So, like, it'll work out regardless. We talked about whether the prophecy is true. And we had a mutual fan uh, who uh, I I noticed that that's something that that David was mentioning, that he felt like uh, in his by his lights, the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy did not even literally come true uh, on the main series. And uh, we had a mutual uh, fan. Latanya, who uh, di- didn't get this in by your rap, uh, podcast, so she heard that you're going to be on our show. So she's she's this is the second attempt. Uh, <laughs> she wanted to say from Dave's perspective, why doesn't he think the prophecy is fulfilled? Uh, she says the realm was united against the threat in the north. The prophecy doesn't specifically say the prince who was promised had to sit on the Iron Throne. It doesn't say the king or queen who was promised. Prophecies are very fickle and their interpretation is not always clear. The prophecy says, from my blood comes the prince that was promised, and his will be the song of ice and fire. 
It doesn't say a Targaryen must sit the Iron Throne, even though that's how it is interpreted. Uh, both Daenerys and Jon are Targaryens and descendants of Rhaenyra. Couldn't it be possible that prophecy was fulfilled, just not in the way that everyone thought? Does it really matter if Danny or Jon was the prince who was promised? Danny and Jon both worked together to unite the realm against the White Walkers. Could Jon be the ice and Danny be the fire? Um, I mean, that's like the conventional. That's like this on the face of it, how I think most people interpret it, right? Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. well, neither one of them are sitting on the Iron Throne, but they were Targaryens uniting the realm against, for better or worse, against the, the threat of the White Walkers. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because, like, I don't know if that... I don't think that they made it clear that, like, that dagger is word for word what Aegon's prophecy was, or if it's just, like, the flowery summary of it. Mm -hmm. But, like, when Viserys is communicating the prophecy to Rhaenyra, he does specify that, like... what I, I have the quote again. It says, Just as Daenys foresaw the end of... Valyria, Aegon foresaw the end of the world of men. Tis to begin with a terrible winter gusting out of the distant north. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds, and whatever dwells within will destroy the world of the living. When this great winter comes, all of Westeros must stand against it, and if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne. Mm. A king or queen strong enough to unite the realm against the cold and dark. Aegon called his dream a song of ice and fire. So, like, do you think those statements? Do you, so, like, I guess I think some of what Latanya was saying is is we yeah, have conflicting yeah, yeah. accounts within right. House of Dragon because it does actually like Viserys made a point to say that someone has to be sitting on the Iron Throne, and we know for sure that in the show's canon, Cersei was on the Iron Throne when this happened. My thing is like, I I agree that like, uh, I think in this email, like she said, like maybe it did, maybe it didn't maybe we just don't like how it happened in the show. And I'm like, yeah, I think how it happened in the show is not George's mm -hmm. idea of how that threat is going to be resolved. Yeah. And so I think in the show's version of events, we got a very imperfect fulfillment of the prophecy. Like, yes, totally correct that John and Danny did unite a good amount of the realm. Mm -hmm. Not all of the realm. Not all like, of it, sure. Not all of it. They were pivotal in like, holding off the White Walkers and Night King for as long as they could, but really everybody was about to die if Arya hadn't pulled out mm -hmm. that dagger trick. Uh, mm -hmm. John was literally, like, <laughs> hiding from a dragon right before all right. of this happened, you know? Like, the show made it made Arya, like, such a key, pivotal reason for right. the defeat of the Night King, who doesn't even exist in the books himself. Right. Um, the which, whole which mechanism by out. which... <laughs> <laughs> I know the whole mechanism of the white walkers and that stuff. We aren't sure how accurate that is to like George's understanding of how that threat is going to happen. And like Benioff and Weiss, I think it was Benioff said in one of those after the episodes, like, Oh, we landed on Aria. Cause we thought that was going to be the most surprising choice uh, right. yeah, for yeah, who yeah. to take out the night King. I could say a lot of words about that approach, but like, to me that reads, oh, Arya doesn't have some big part to play in this, like, prophecy and all of these fan theories. That was simply a show invention of, like, how can we most catch fans off guard with who they think is going to land that final blow. Mm -hmm. So, like, again, I'm back in this, like, murky space of, like, I just don't think that we have all the answers. We don't have all the information yet about what George meant 
by telling Ryan Condal this prophecy? What are George's ideas for how he's going to like resolve his own prophecy? I totally agree that it's he George never writes prophecies straight black or white in their fulfillment or anything. Like the whole point is that they can be very fickle. Um and also, sorry, this might be a tangent. Tell me if this is completely Please, boring. Tang away. Have you read um either Song of Achilles or Circe by Madeline Miller? Those no. two books? Have you heard of them? Uh no. <laughs> okay. Well, ten out of ten recommend for both of them. But okay. what what she's what Madeline Miller does with those books is retells Greek myth. Um and similar to what House of the Dragon is doing with Fire and Blood, kind of like corrects the narrative that certain people who just appeared as side characters and like Odysseus's story weren't actually like the pivotal emotional driver of what was going on. And in Greek myth specifically, and she outlines this um, in the book, is that like the fates dole out prophecies all the time and then the gods will sometimes like tell those prophecies to various humans or demigods or whatever and every prophecy is designed to like be basically as cruel and like unpredictably fulfilled as possible of like Mm. right like you're not gonna understand exactly what this means until the last minute and then you're gonna see exactly what it cost you to have that good thing happen to you or whatever and as i was watching house of dragon i just kept thinking about like her approach to retelling myth and Mm. what house of the dragon is doing and i think that like they might be trying to get at some of that but we're just so far away (laughs) from knowing how george plans on addressing rhaegar's discovery of the prince that was promised theory and why that matters for Jon snow existing and all of these things that the show just didn't have that benioff and weiss were not prioritizing in terms of their storytelling by the end there so it's really hard for me to like again stand definitively and like yes it was fulfilled but imperfectly or no it it was all horseshit because it's just like yeah. we're dealing with so many separate canons here right and murkiness so i think that that's probably why on the podcast i was like i was like we're just gonna skip the uh-huh. the deep prophecy questions because like if you're only a show watcher it's so hard to grasp what, yeah. like where they're going with all of those details or what was right and what was right, wrong right. or what was a show only thing or what was a book only thing but Latanya definitely has good points in there about like there were elements of it that are true and yes it doesn't always even if you even if you try to interpret the prophecy as literally as possible there are going to be blind spots in especially I noticed when you're reading that quote it's like we also don't know how much of that was the real prophecy how much of that was Viserys's editorializing because when he says like a Targaryen must be on the Iron Throne comma we must have a king or queen strong enough to unite the realm. Are those both the same thing or you just need the, you know, those mutually exclusive because if this iron throne is just like, well, you know, some, you know, we have to have a Targaryen king and I can't imagine a environment where there'd be a Targaryen king and they wouldn't be on the iron throne. Or is that something that Aegon actually said? No, you know, cause like before Aegon did the conquest, there wasn't an iron throne to sit. So did he make the iron throne to fulfill that? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm like, we don't. Right. Or like, does John being crowned king in the north qualify Satisfy as that. being a Targaryen king who is leading the effort to right. defeat? And Danny like, was crowned queen as well, true. so you you had right. both of them, yeah. Yes. 
So, uh, but there's also a lot of. I always thought that the dragon had three heads. That there was going to be something. You know, there was going to be a triumvirate. You know, like there was a lot of this stuff that like the double D's just had no interest in exploring towards the end. They're just like gotta gotta get on to the Star Wars sequels pre- the trilogy. <laughs> Um, yeah so i think by that having talked through all of that that's i think one of the reasons why i'm not being too harsh on all the prophecy inclusions yet in house of the dragon because i'm waiting to see how much they actually incorporate that into the continuing narrative right because either they're gonna drop it like now (laughs) and just be like well civil war time no time for prophecy (laughs) badness or somehow continue to expound upon why it's important that they had to mention this aside from just having, like you said, some game of Thrones cinematic universe connection between all the shows, which is very possible and would be not as cool. In my yeah. Opinion. It's a little, little like infinity stones without like building up to an end game. Maybe there's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now back to Hati. All right, so having said all that about the prophecy and you know, our, our thoughts about George finishing the books. Uh, this is something that gets called uh, ass medium frequency on our podcast. And my co-host Jim just always shuts it down. He is King Jim Harris is not interested in hearing any of this heresy. <laughs> How would you feel if they rebooted game of Thrones, the series in the next decade or so? Deck feels too soon. So I'd be 20 years um, on from the original series premiere. Yeah, but only like five years on from the like they would have to be they would have to have that in development like five years from now. And I think that they're still going to be in full successor. Let's say let's say 15, 20 then, because I I, I Um, thought decade was sufficient was like a sufficiently impressive book, a a block of time. But how would I feel? Um, I think I would feel similar to the House of the Dragon announcement of being like, no idea what to expect from that. Ah, so, so you'd reserve judgment. I would probably reserve judgment. Um, I feel like I feel like Harry Potter's got to go first. I, I, like I so said much. the same damn thing in the last podcast. Like, I'm like, if you think this isn't, <laughs> if you think this is nuts, 
even though you pretty much can't do a better job than they already did, I I know that in my lifetime they'll reboot Harry Potter. Are they actually doing that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, but I'm just okay. saying, I thought, I thought... I'm saying of course of course someone will. Like Because there's money to be made, sure. There's money to be made. Also, I did not like those movies and I, I there's a lot of feelings that I have about Harry Potter these days anyways well, because of phobia. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, sure. I don't I don't know. I think that some other franchise is going to go first before HBO would try let, it. Let me ask you this. What if George D are if if I told you that this is George after finishing the books, are you more or less excited? More, for sure. Yeah. What if yeah. I do you think HBO could get away with just rebooting like season six, seven and eight? Like, no, no, you really don't think that you could. You don't think you could recast it and just because like I think I think for my money, I don't know that you can do it better. I mean, I have quibbles with individual decisions, but I don't know you can do better in the seasons one through four of Game half. of Thrones. Like they pretty much nail it. Season yeah. five, I have a little bit with the Dorn because I think what George is going to do is going to involve more of the Martells and all that stuff. But like you get into seven and eight and they're clearly pretty off the beaten path. And I just wonder if you get, you know, you, you use nail the casting. Cause look, look at what they did with like the star Trek movies. Everyone was pretty happy with that being recast. You know, they do it regularly with James Bond, Batman, uh, <laughs> the Batman, the Spider-Man. Uh, I think, I think I, I, I don't know why people have, are, are so resistant because I think that's a great idea to it's so expensive to do the whole thing. But if George finishes the books, if, if I think there'd be sufficient interest that you could do something like that. Yeah. Or like a movie trilogy or, or you get the original like cast George. back and you do uncanny Valley, uh, <laughs> DG CGI de aging. So like Maisie's still running around like she's 16 and I mean, it's not that I personally would hate it. I think it's just that I don't see HBO backtracking to the point of being like, oh, yeah, all those times that we said that we were definitely just like super happy and very proud and like think that well, that's what said, the, the, the books coming like, out would give him cover. Yes. Yeah, they could not just right. see like this is actually shit. We got to redo I it. I wouldn't want them to cave to the petitions to reshoot the fight like, you know, I don't think oh, I'm, all pro of that's the- I'm pro cave. I'm pro cave. I I just I don't know, but I I do think that it is likely to happen in my lifetime. In all the right. same way that like, you know, there were so many little Lord of the Rings iterations before the Peter Jackson movie. Sure. And then sure. those became the defining adaptation for a whole generation of people. Right. I it seems likely that in the future there will be a new generation of people who have a new version of some sort of Westerosi based or some sort of a song of ice and fire based adaptation on the table. If they were going to redo just individual seasons, like and you had your druthers, where would you pick as a launching point? Which was, which was the last pure season? Which is the last, was the, what's the last pure George blood season? I would say four, but even then the wheels were starting to come off a little bit at the end there for me. Wow. Four. Cause I thought four, what, what was the real wheel spinning off on four? It was the whole Tyrion. Did they burn Shireen? No, that was five. Okay. Um, what really, what for whatever reason got under my skin a little bit was changing Tyrion's, like Tyrion murdering Shay, even though like, I don't know, that was all messy. And then he didn't 
fight with Jamie when they like left. Like the whole the separation of Tyrion and Jamie being amicable and nice instead of like, by the way, I killed your son, and by the way, Cersei's fucking moon boy, and all these other people. Like all of that. So that he ruminates uh, over that. The next, yeah, well, that yeah, Jamie's yeah. ruminating over that, and that's why he's leaving Cersei. And then uh-huh. Tyrion feels. He's ruminating over it too, yeah. and, he, and he like they kind of I think decided yeah, right. to let people continue loving those characters the way that they were mm-hmm. in a way that to me pivotally would would have ripple effects out through the rest of the seasons. Um, so yeah, I would probably and same reasons like I think that there could be a whole Dorne redo, a Lady Stoneheart reveal. Like, if they really wanted to reboot it and, like, set a different canon course, you know, kick us off with a cold open of Lady Stoneheart and, like, really show it, like, really lean yeah, into you all need the some, you, you would need a banger, like, intro to, like, really suck people in. That'd be an excellent one. Yeah. Yeah. Hire uh, me. Yeah, Which I was gonna say like, I like your instincts. <laughs> uh, it's, it's time for, it's time for a, a, a woman to show around a Game of Thrones property. Let's get, when let's I'm, get Kim in there. When I'm what, like 48 years old, you can hire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I, I want I want to keep it leal for the audience. Uh, I'm okay. about I'm ga- about to get spoilery with Kim here. This is stuff that like only book read. This is book reader shit. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, this is us um, making some inferences based on our foreknowledge of what's going on. I if you if you want to remain completely unsullied, I highly recommend you hit stop right now. Uh, and I guess like I, yeah, as as a jumping off point, Kim, where can they find you around the internet if they don't want to join us past the spoiler barricade? Yeah, I'm still lurking on Twitter these days at Kim R Renfro. See how long shaky, shaky, lasts. standing on shaky ground, Kim. We're all standing on shaky ground. I'm tweeting out as many pleasant cat videos and I saw nice I saw David Chin is uh, packing up the tent and heading into the sunset yeah. uh, for a yeah. newsletter. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And yeah, you can always find my writings on insider.com. What what are what are you covering in the immediate future that people are probably going to be excited about? I'm you'll love this. I'm trying to get in on the 1899. Us too. Train. We're going to be doing like two episodes a day from the day of the release until we're finished. So fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. I haven't got screeners yet or anything, but that should be. We never will because we never get them from Netflix and people have been hating us on screeners lately. So I don't know. We must have pissed off a PR person at some point, but uh, we we will preserve or preserve Uh OK, I'm yeah, I'm really curious about 1899 and really excited to see what happens to that. But got to finish on hot D here. Laner, Laner, Lanor Valerian. There's theories because that was one of the more shocking, you know, like uh, jaw drop moments on the show is like, oh, he's not dead. Actually, they really faked mm-hmm. me out. Uh, have you heard any of the alternate lane or truth or fear theories? No, lay them on me. OK, the most popular one is that uh, there's this character called Adam Hull. Who is a Valerian bastard that has uh, silver hair and purple eyes. You know, Damon at the end of uh, this season laid out the dragon inventory and said there's a whole bunch of dragons that don't have riders. Maybe some of them never had riders. Um, we need to, you know, implying that we need to find people to ride these dragons because otherwise these are bombs that don't have any guidance systems. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, they are going to be a call. I imagine early next season where they're going to put out like the call to like anyone, you know, uh, so you think you can ride a dragon, uh, (laughs) come come out here and, and prove it. And if you don't get burnt to death, you too can have a shiny, you know, Mm Oh, 31 AC, uh, dragon. Mm-hmm. One of the guys that steps forward is Adam Hull. He's this bastard. He's got he's got uh, silver hair, purple eyes. Um, his mother says that who is uh, she's a, a shipwright that works out of the Driftmark ship shipyards. Uh, says that uh, Laner is this person's father, and he's a 15 year old kid. He looks just like a Valerian. He's got dragon riding blood, and he's able to swing his leg over sea smoke pretty easily because sea smoke at this time had already burnt, I think at least one, maybe two other suitor riders to death. And Adam does not get burnt to death. He's then legitimized by his grandfather, Corliss, who -hmm. says for his service as a dragon rider, we should make him full on. He becomes Adam Valerian. A lot of people are like, you know, it'd be a lot cleaner if Laner just comes back. as Adam Valerian. And that's the whole, like, you know, the, the bring him back gracefully. So no one gets implicated and all the, all the old skeletons remain buried. He's introduced as a Valerian bastard and wink, wink. He's actually Corliss's son, but he's actually Laner's son. Like, do you think that would work on the show? I don't know. I think, I don't I, I there's probably a way to do it that feels satisfying but that would be a tricky line to toe because they're going to I'm like then how are you going to explain are you going to keep him in disguise just have him wear a helmet the whole time that he's riding sea smoke and like not let everybody know that his death was actually fake like I feel like that would raise too many questions from too many people in the story but if 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 you if you claim that it's his son or if it's Corliss's son then him looking just like Laner is pretty easy yeah. to explain because like you know I've seen siblings that are not twins that look all there's a strong family resemblance you know like if it's been a couple right. of years since I've seen him and it's a medieval setting where I don't have a digital picture of him like oh shit it's a spitting image yeah but not suspiciously so yeah or like um I mean, you can also just make the case that, like, everybody on Team Rhaenyra would be happy to know that Lanor's alive and probably, like, you mm-hmm. know, he could quickly explain, like, well, I was under direct threat the longer that people accused her children of being bastards and, right. like, whatever, whatever, and I had to get yeah. out of there while my name was hot. And now all the people who give a shit about me being gay or not actually being the father of these children right. are definitely our, our enemies, enemies of so, the state. Yeah, so. Right. so who cares what they think? Mm. And like, I can just be back and be alive and they can deal with it or never see me because like you said, it's not like he's posting Twitter updates in Westeros being like, <laughs> right, right. back home for the holidays. Like how yeah. would anyone know <laughs> that he's around? I do like it. So. There's something because they, they, his mom and dad keep on talking about how they're supporting Rhaenyra in spite of, you know, the fact yeah. that, you know, it's like for the grandkids. I think there is something of like a faith rewarded. Like I could see it being very emotional that especially if they could figure they could they could fudge the timeline a little bit and uh, bring it back to where, you know, Rhaenys and Corliss and them are still alive to appreciate it. And like, oh, you know, Rhaenyra was actually true blue this whole time. 
and then establish. Yeah, I, I think I think it would be cool. It's a, it's a cool theory, and it's also um, because otherwise I'm not exactly sure why they deviated from the book canon. Because on the surface, it's like, oh, you know, uh, Rhaenyra didn't murder this guy, didn't have him murdered. Um, but like, I I don't know. Uh, everyone thinks they did, and they like the idea that everyone thinks they did, and they also murdered like an innocent footman. So it's like right. I never thought that was like a real gentling of like Rhaenyra and Damon. Uh, and other thing is like it doesn't happen in that way in the books at all. Like I, I don't think there's a clear implication of like Damon and Rhaenyra had this guy killed for their convenience or whatever. Yeah, I think it I think like the prophecy, it feels like one one tiny of many tiny uh, leanings on the scale of like it, does Rhaenyra have the most just claim to the throne? And it's like, yeah, because not only is she the one who knows this prophecy, and the reason why she knows it is because she was the named heir, not Aegon, but like, oh, we, the audience, also think that she's a slightly better person for having figured out a way to save her husband instead of discarding him or murdering yeah. him, or leaving him exposed to all of these, like, rumors and drama. But I don't know. I can also see them just bringing in a bastard teen and like having him become one of the gang with all the rest of the bastard kids. Adam. And like, yeah. yeah, no, that's it's I, that, yeah, it's like I think that's still pl- more plausible, but it is intriguing to, to find a way to bring this guy back. Um, and to explain why, like, I think that that was a question that a lot of show only people had, especially because Lenor's that surprise came after Vagar was claimed and like. Mm you had this sense that like you can't claim someone else's dragon if they're still mm. alive. So like how, how is sea smoke ever going to have another rider? That's or is a bi- well, just that's be the gone? other, I thank you for mentioning it. Cause that's the other big strong leg of this theory is like, well, if they're bonded for life and sea smoke, and that's, we see this as a psychic bond over distance, you know, right. uh, then how the hell is sea smoke ever going to allow anyone to ride him? Right. So like him coming back, you know, as wink, wink, Adam Hall would be a way to you know navigate that, I guess. Yeah. I, I, here's a hot take. I th- I thought I, I don't know what they're going to do with this in the future. And I appreciate what you said about, you know, Rhaenyra not actually killing her husband. <sighs> we get a lot, you know, this green and black thing is a real situation. It's like a fucking street gang out there. Uh, like people have you not seen this? Like people oh, are like green. taking it really yeah. freaking serious. Uh, yeah. And I feel like the greens are kind of hurt somewhat by what it feels like that the show is really putting a thumb on the scales uh, for Team Black. I feel like Rhaenyra and Damon just straight up murder uh, Lanor. The fandom's a little bit more evenly split about Team Black versus Team Green. Because that's such a cold Machiavellian move, and it kind of yeah. like directly stains both Damon and Rhaenyra as their stock is at an all-time high. I feel like yeah. people, there's more people, I, the show might have been better to have them do something that dastardly and cold blooded just to kind of balance the spite that the audience is giving towards one side or the other. If they want to do, I mean, I don't know if that's important to them, but. Yeah. I mean, I generally am disinterested in like, just because one, just because you're rooting more for one person doesn't mean that you have to like actively hate the other side. (laughs) Like I feel like, I feel like the people who are team green, like cool, have a blast watching them be weirdos. Like, there 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 are a lot of interesting compelling characters on that side uh-huh. and like helena 
not enclosed. That was one one more theory that I was going to bring up, a like future spo- potential spoiler theory. Oh, well, the we're still in the zone. What? Well, yeah, bring it up. Yeah. The Amond and Helena that Jahara that Jaharis and Jahara are actually Amond's children, not Aegon's. Really? Because Amond and Helena are like having some sort of side secret genuine love connection among themselves while Aegon is just like their shitty brother. I kind of buy that as like And your your evidence of this is him being willing to do the royal duty towards his sister and that or is it just a I like it. It's that it's the way that he like was in her room and seemed very comfortable um Ah. and like protective of her in a way that Aegon is not once they jump forward a little bit in age and like the whole crowning ceremony the way that helena was like seemed very upset by like the fact that this was happening to Aegon, but was like very closely Hmm. she was just like standing super close to her brother and like looking i i i don't know i'd believe it but was aemon in her room because he's or was he just there because that's where everyone assumed Aegon would be and he was like, wanting... yeah, I think he was just trying to like join the party, but like, gotcha. Okay. All right. I don't know. There have just been some, there have been some glances and the show seems to be heavily leaning into him is rooting for more incest in hot D. There's not enough. She's got to get more. I'm rooting for Helena to have at least one man in her yeah, life. Okay. <laughs> Treating <I> can... <laughs> her nicely. <laughs> I can, I can, I can definitely get behind that. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, that's, uh, I think that's, oh, do you think the Beast Under the Boards is, was that just, oh, uh, is that Melee's uh, and Rainus or, because I, I still think, think still it was interesting. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I was going to say Blood and Cheese. Right. That's the, is that the that's, name? yep, yep. That's the, that's the second most popular theory. Um, yeah. I, cause I, I did, I thought it was, well, the thing I'm I was thinking that it might have been Aemond because um, I thought it was really interesting how when she had her last freak out about the the beast beneath the boards, like she says that and then they smash cut to Aemond walking in the room. Mm. And it's like sometimes they make those visual connections between dialogue and characters. But then yeah. you have a big dragon bust out of the floor at the end of that episode. Maybe that is the actual fulfillment. Uh, cause I, I did a, like a rundown of like, you know, why I didn't like some theories. Blood and cheese makes a little bit of sense. Uh, I do not like the idea of, uh, who, who's the, the bastard, Aegon's bastard, uh, the pale, pale hair. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, I don't like that. Cause that, the, that, that kid's not a, ring. yeah, that kid's not really a monster. Like even how he develops in the book, like he's essentially right. made a false king, by his two mothers that live in a brothel and he just issues these gentle proclamations like men and women should be treated as equals and cell swords should be taken care of by their lords when they're wounded. And it's like, I mean, yeah. I guess he's a pretender to the throne, but he's like five yeah. <laughs> and nothing really comes of it. I think the reason why I'm leaning a little bit more towards that, like, yes, it might've already been resolved with Rainies, but I think that we're going to get the like, double whammy with blood and cheese is a the fact that she like when she says it that second time to Alicent and the way that Alicent responds it's like she's been it's like it's been a tick like she's been saying this over Mm. and over again with like increasing distress but Alicent just like doesn't know what she's talking about it's just like yes yes honey I know like calm down and I I think that 
I think that her being in distress over that makes a lot more sense in connection to what's going to happen in that room, right? Because presumably they're going to come up from the boards in her bedroom, which is where she was when she said that. Right. And, like, and then her the twins are sitting right there when she says yeah, it. Yeah, so that's I true like, too. It's like they gave show watchers a like, oh yeah, it was the dragon later in this episode. How cool. And then like, uh-huh. it's going to be like, oh shit. Yeah. Maybe this was actually a lot darker. I, I, I will be on DEFCON 5 if next season she comes back and is still muttering about the beast beneath the boards. That will be like, oh, shit. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, uh, if you want to follow Kim, we will have all the links to her socials and to her bylines in the show notes of this year podcast. Uh, so if you missed them the first two times we gave them out, they're there. <laughs> uh, I am excited to see what you make of 1899. Because I was under the mistaken uh, impression until just like last week that it was a direct prequel to Dark, where it's oh. like there may be connections, but this is a completely separate separate work. Yeah, because of the actor crossovers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to. I thought there, but there because like I was thinking like eighteen is like is that like a on the year cycle from the print? No, no, it turns out that was all crap, and I was wrong. But uh, I am excited because like Dark was uniquely consuming. Uh, from yeah. like a mental puzzle box time travel type of thing. And it's yeah. just like really a complicated story to tell that they did extremely well. So yeah, they got yeah. some other kind of pseudo mystery sci-fi thing, sci-fi. Yeah. 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 Weird, weird portals <laughs> opening kind of thing. And I'm, I'm in for it. I think it's a, is it not a like Bermuda triangle thing? <laughs> or it was does- that I really think I, they're. I think I don't know. They're they're going across the Atlantic Ocean. The Bermuda Triangle is there somewhere. It's in my. But like, is it's it's Miami, Bermuda, Panama? Like, isn't it that try? Like, it's essentially the Gulf. You just stay the hell away out of the Gulf of Mexico. That's just good advice. Just don't go there. I trust their ability to do really cool, uh, puzzle boxy sci-fi magic storytelling. So 100%. I'm just on board to see whatever they have conceived of for this new yeah. version. So if, if it's been in your noodle, uh, I highly recommend checking out Kim's coverage on that. Cause like you were, you, you were, you did, you did amazing work on, on dark. So you were the yeah. foremost dark, darkian expert on the internet. <laughs> someone had uh, to, someone had to do it. Might as well be <laughs> I you. Gladly put my sword forward. Uh, well, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure, Kim. We'll see you uh, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me.